Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. So we have been in the middle of a series. Uh, We're actually ending our series today as we've been looking at the early church and what they committed themselves to. And if you've been with us, you know that with the first week we talked about the apostles' teaching, which we said is the gospel message. Then we looked at how the early church defended their fellowship with one another. Last week we took a look at the Lord's Supper and how it brought unity to the church. And today we're going to finish this series off as we look at this last discipline of prayer, of prayer. Um, So in the late 18th century, there was a very famous pastor named Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he was called the Prince of Preachers is what he was called. He had this really commanding and deep voice. He was a pretty big fellow. And he had a congregant one time come and ask him, "Uh, Pastor Spurgeon, what's more important, prayer or Bible study? And in his deep tone, Pastor looked at this congregant and said, well, what's more important, breathing in or breathing out? That's so true. Prayer is essential. Bible study is essential to the Christian life. It literally is like breathing in. But what's so funny to me, what I find fascinating, and I've been in just so many times, been in a small group or a Bible study setting, and the person's leading says, hey, will you, will you pray for us? And they point to an individual. And it is like they have been shocked with a taser. You know what I'm talking about? Like their body just begins to convulse. The muscles are all tensed up. They start sweating and their eyes are about to bulge out of their face. And I just wonder why in the world is it that way? Why is it that prayer is, causes this kind of anxiety? If it's essential to us, if it's really like breathing to the Christian life, Why is it that we get so anxious about it? So this morning, what I'm hoping to do is that we can look at Philippians chapter 4, and in that, we're going to answer three questions that I hope will kind of help take away the tension uh, when it comes to prayer. So that's my hope this morning. And then at the end of that time, what I'd really love is I actually would love for us to spend a little time together in prayer. Okay, so I'm kind of trying to reserve a little time at the end of this message so that we can spend time together as a church in some guided prayer. And I'll kind of give you instructions for that in just a minute. But, but go ahead and turn with me. We're going to be in Philippians, but first we're going to start out in that Acts passage that we have been looking at. That's kind of been our theme passage for this series. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Again, it's one of those ones you almost probably got memorized now because we've said it so many times. So verse 42, Acts chapter 2, we'll start there. And then we'll move on to Philippians. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers toured together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so there's one important observation that I want to make kind of as our final observation from this text. And it's in verse 46. So look back at verse 46 again. And I want you to see the condition of the hearts of the early church. So let's look and see what it says. It says that as they were enjoying biblical community together, it says that they had glad and sincere hearts. There's this genuine feeling of contentment and you know, satisfaction and joy that the church shared together. Now, we know because we've kind of talked about these last few weeks that that didn't last too long before they started kind of taking their eyes off of Jesus. I love that, that verse that we sang just a minute ago. My eyes are on you. My eyes are on you, right? Because the early church, they started to shift their eyes from Jesus onto other things, things that were lesser, things that were not as important, things that were just absolutely insignificant when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And so my prayer for us, this whole series, has been that we can stop and we can look at ourselves as a church and say, hey, how are we doing? Are we committed to these four things that the early church was? But truthfully, there's another question that we have to ask. And maybe it's the more pertinent, more, the bigger question, the better question. And that question is, is our focus on Jesus? Is that where our eyes are fixated? Are they fixated on Jesus? Because that's the most important thing. And it's actually the same question that Paul is going to address to the Philippians as we turn to Philippians chapter 4. It's the same thing that he's saying to the church in Philippi. So turn with me to chapter 4. We're actually going to begin in verse 4 of chapter 4 in Philippians. Starts out this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's been the theme of the entire book of Philippians is this idea of joy and rejoicing. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I think it's important that we lay a, bit, a little bit of context of who this church in Philippi exactly is. So Philippi is a Roman uh, city, and it is basically, it was on the road from the eastern provinces of Rome to Rome. And so it's a major city that kind of connects the two of those. And in fact, a lot of times, Philipp, I mean, a lot of times Roman uh, officials would retire there. They would retire to Philippi. So it is a very politically um, prideful city, if you will, to the, the, to the nation of Rome. And so for the early church being converted to Christianity, especially making Jesus your Savior, your Lord, and even more importantly, your King, you very quickly got ostracized in this community that was politically prideful. So it was difficult to become a Christian in Philippi. But that's exactly what this church is doing and because of that, they're beginning to suffer persecution for their allegiance to Jesus and not to Caesar, okay? So there's also a, a, another church division that Paul talks about in the beginning of this chapter. There's two women that are fighting. And here's what I hate. I just absolutely hate this. And it happens all the time even in church now. There's this infighting that's going on, right, that Paul actually has to address. Here's the problem. You're already facing it from the culture on the outside, why in the world do we want to fight inside? And so it's just, it, it just breaks my heart when I see that because 
we already are facing that from the outside. We're already against our culture in a way that says, hey, we want to make sure we're following Jesus as our Lord, and that always puts us at odds with the culture. So even in a room this size, I know that um, it would be naive of me to not think that you kind of carry into this room some um, presuppositions, some ideas of what prayer is, okay? Maybe you grew up in a home or a church that, um, truthfully, you only prayed whenever you had meals and when you went to church. Could be your experience. Maybe you actually grew up in a home that you didn't pray at all, okay? So there might be some questions that you have. And so this first question that we're going to look at from the book of Philippians here is this question. What, what should we pray about? Well, look at verse 6, okay? Paul's going to tell us. Now, here's another thing that might be going on in your head. You might be thinking, okay, he's the creator of the whole world. That's what I've been taught. He knows everything. He's omniscient, right? He knows everything. He sees everything. What in the world am I supposed to bring to God in prayer that he doesn't already know about? Okay, maybe I know what it is. I know what it is, James. It is the big things. I'm supposed to bring the big things. I'm supposed to pray for world peace. I'm supposed to pray for the end of hunger, right? Those big things. And I'm not saying that those big things aren't important. They are very important, all right? But it always makes me think, have anybody ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty? You remember at the very end, Bruce has kind of gone through this using God's power selfishly. Do you remember this? And finally, God's kind of talking with him, and Bruce is beginning to recognize that it's not really about him. He needs to be more about other people. And so he gets this prayer beat, and, and God asks him, like, what are you going to pray about? And he goes, God, I just I want to pray for world peace. I want to pray for hunger, those very things, right? And I love Morgan Freeman's character as God because he says, that's great if you're a beauty, beauty contestant. <laughs> but what do you really care about? What do you really care about? And so then, of course, he prays, or his girlfriend. He prays for the person that he loves the most and that he misses the most because of his own selfishness. Uh, this is exactly the way it's supposed to look like, because look at what Paul says. Here's what he says. He says, in every situation, we're supposed to pray about every situation, everything, just like Bruce learns, right? God cares about us as an individual. He cares about the things that we care about, he cares about those things. You know, back in June when I was here, we looked at um, the idea that Jesus is teaching on worry, uh, what Jesus, how he addresses that. And what I love is I love that Jesus says, hey, the same God who created the sun and keeps it burning is the same God who knows of the millions of birds that fall from the sky and die. It's the same God. He knows all those things. He knows the big things he knows the little things, and he cares about both in our own lives. He cares about those things in our life. You know, when uh, Emily and I were actually younger in our parenting journey, um, we had met this couple that was an incredible couple uh, that we loved dearly, and they were a little further along in their parenting journey. Um, they had some that were in junior high and high school. Ours were still really little, and you know, around the knees. Um, and I just remember being in awe of them and kind of a little bit convicted by the way that they would pray for their children, right? They would have a, a, one of their younger ones would run up and have a cut on their, on their arm, and uh, the mom would just stop everything and pray over that. Now, I grew up, and this is probably some of, some of us grew this way, right? That you kissed it and you sent them off, right? I'm going to kiss the boo-boo and you're going to be fine. You're going to live, kid. Get out of here kind of thing, Right? <laughs> But what I realized in that moment when, when she prayed over that cut 
is that what I felt like was insignificant to my daughters was a huge deal in that moment. That is the way God is. Those things that seem like they're insignificant to most people but are extremely important to us, God says they're important to me as well. I am listening. I want you to bring those things to me. Now, it's clear that in the early church, that's the truth of how they also live. So Paul, over and over again in his letters to the churches, he talks about how he's praying for each person individually. He's praying for each of them. Nobody was insignificant to him. He was praying over the things that they needed, the things that he, know that he knew that the Lord needed to teach them, but also their hurts, the things that they were going through, the, the, the persecution that they were suffering. He prayed over all that stuff. But at the same time, we also see that the early church very clearly prayed over the big things. When Paul and John come back from being persecuted, uh, being imprisoned uh, by the, uh, the Sanhedrin, then the early church, their first response in Acts chapter 4 is to pray. Their first response isn't to hear the story and all that kind of stuff. Their first response is to pray. And in fact, it's amazing how they pray. God, we thank you that this has happened. We're going to get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. But can I ask you a question? What consumes your prayers? What do you primarily pray for? Um, for example, most of the time when couples come to Emily and I and we're talking about the struggle in their marriage. One of the questions that I'll ask is I'll say, have you guys been praying about this together? And very seldom, very seldom, do they answer, yes, we've been praying over this together. In fact, most of the time what I'll get is I'll get a wife that will respond that she's praying for her husband, right? But very seldom have they spent time praying over what is bringing us this distance? What is hurting our relationship? Why do we not seem to be on the same level that we used to be on? They don't bring it to God in prayer. Or maybe as a parent, you're noticing that your child is emotionally starting to kind of, uh, there's some changes that are going on. They, they're beginning to have behavior that's showing up in school that you're a little bit concerned about. How many times do you bring that before the Lord? One of the things that I have to uh, remind myself all the time is that the Lord loves my children more than I love my children. And if the Lord loves my children more than I love my children, I have to bring them before him in prayer, whatever is going on in their life. And so that has to be a consistent in my life, is praying over the things that are big, praying over the things that are small. In my office, I've always kept this quote. It's a very important quote to me. In fact, you're probably going to hear me reference it quite often. Uh, it's by an author named J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, very important, shaping book in my life. Um, and he says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of, being, of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. See, God is not a distant God. He is not far away. He's not out there in his workshop working, and you've got to go and find him. That's not how it happens with God. God is as close to us as our breath, and he wants to be that close. He wants us to bring those things to him. I love the Apostle, Paul, I mean, the Apostle John in uh, 1 John 3, 1. I love this verse, one of my favorite verses. See how great the Father has lavished his love upon us that we should be called children of God. A couple of years ago, one of my students brought up something that I had never seen in the text, the punctuation. At the end of that statement, John has an exclamation mark. 
It's like John himself is still trying to wrap his mind around this idea. He is God's loved son. God loves him. And he's he's just trying to understand this idea. God, how in the world could you love me like this, that you would call me your son, your child, your daughter? But that's what we are. We are his children, and he loves us. And you know the reason that we don't pray? The reason we don't pray is because we don't know who we are, and we don't know who God is to us. If we recognize that we are his children and that he dearly loves us and he cares about every circumstance in our life, there's no way you can stop us from bringing that to him. Think about a little child, right? I love little children. You know why? Because they always want to show their parents what they're doing. Always. They're making something out of clay, making something out of dirt. Dad, look what I did. Look what I made. Dad. Check out this bug. You got to see this bug. They're always wanting the attention of their father. And guess what? God wants to give us that attention as our father. He loves to do that. He loves to do that. Okay, second question that we see from the text How do we pray? How do we pray? So let's look at verse six again because Paul's going to answer it for us. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. So we're going to break apart these words, okay, so we can understand exactly how we're supposed to pray. The first one we've already kind of looked at, that word prayer right there is literally the same thing in Greek. It just means prayer, and it means everything. It's any time that prayer is mentioned in the scriptures, this word is usually going to be pretty close to it, because that's what it means. It means bringing anything to God in prayer, okay? But the next word's a pretty important word, this word petition. In Greek, it's deisis, deisis, and it means need, indignance, and want. Interesting, I love how one commentator put it. He put it this way. He said that we are suppliants. We are suppliants. In other words, we have need, and God is the one who takes care of that need. Okay? He takes care of that need. One of my spiritual heroes is George Mueller. Uh, He was uh, a gentleman who led an orphanage, uh, in England, Bristol, England, during the 18th century, during the 19th century, excuse me, during the middle of the 19th century. Um, and I just love his story. It's so, so powerful. So during his time uh, as leading this orphanage, there were five different homes uh, that eventually were built on the property. Roughly $130,000 is what that would have cost. Now you can kind of do the math and all that kind of stuff with how much it would be in our day right now. It's a lot. But one of the things he never did is he never asked for any financial assistance from any individual or any church. Instead, what he did and what he taught each of the children in the orphanage to do was to pray for their needs. In fact, there's a well-documented story. Um, One time, the, the orphans sat down together at the breakfast table, and there was nothing to eat. They didn't have any food to eat. And they asked Mr. Mueller, Mr. Mueller, what do we do? There's nothing for us to eat. And he said, children, what do we do always whenever we have a need? And they said, pray. So as the children are praying, as the children are praying, a knock at the door. Mr. Mueller, in comes the baker. Mr. Mueller, I I have this bread for the children this morning. The Lord laid on my heart to bring this bread. And so I've got bread and there was enough to cover all of the children. If that's not cool enough, Knock at the door. Mr. Mueller, 
Uh, I'm, I'm the milkman. Unfortunately, my cart has broken down right here next to your orphanage, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to fix this before the milk spoils. Would you like any milk? God hears. He loves his children. He cares for them. Incredible. But listen to what Mueller says about being persistent in prayer. It's not enough to begin to pray, not to pray all right, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray, but we must patiently, believing, continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. Jesus teaches us that. You remember the story in Luke 18 where Jesus tells the parable of the widow and how she's persistently coming before the judge. She's wanting justice, and she comes day after day persisting for justice. And finally, just fed up with how many times she's come, the judge says, fine, I will give it to you. That's the way God desires our prayer life to look, persistent until we get the answer. Now, the answer may be no, but until we get the answer, that's what he wants. He wants us to be persistent. Okay, so let's look at the, the next word. The next word. Here we go. He says, Paul says, this is how we're supposed to cover all of our prayers. All of our prayers should be covered like this with thanksgiving. Now, anybody want to venture a guess? I'm going to give you a hint. We actually talked about this Greek word last week when we talked about the Lord's Supper. Anybody want to venture a guess as to what the Greek word is here? You're like, I don't remember that word. That was a long time ago. Eucharistia. Eucharistia. Remember how we talked about that word last week? Eucharistia. Here's what it means. It literally means giving thanks for God's gracious gifts. That's what the word means. Giving thanks for God's gracious gifts. So our prayers should be bathed in gratitude. They should be bathed in thankfulness. That's the part of our posture that we have to take as we bring these requests over and over again before the Lord is that they should be bathed in gratitude. Everything that we have comes from him. Everything that we have comes from him. I've met so many people that tell me how they're a self-made person. And it's really hard for me not to laugh. And I don't mean that rude. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm really not. But I recognize that everything we have, and, it, and you may be like, well, I am. I'm a self-made person. I've become successful. You know what? Here's the thing. You have a mind you have a body, and those are given to you by God. So gratitude for everything that we have, even the personality that is tenacious, that won't stop, that never gives up, that is God given to you. So therefore, you should be grateful for what God has given you. You are not self-made. God has been gracious to you, right? I love the old thought that says this, what if you only got tomorrow what you thanked God for today? Man, if you only got tomorrow what you thanked God for today. Man, everybody in here is going, okay, now I'm gonna, I am going to be thankful much more. I am going to be, every, all these things, I'm going to be thanking God for every single one of these things. Okay, last question that Paul addresses from this text. Why? Why do we pray? What's the purpose in this whole thing? Why, why, why do I need to bring this before God? And Paul tells us, we pray so that God's peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just think of the song we sang just a minute ago. 
it is well with my soul. As we pray and as we bring these things before the Lord, that is exactly what happens to us. We're stilled in our heart when we say, it is well with me, God. The word here, a lot of times we confuse the word peace. It's one that we kind of, in our Western culture, it's very difficult for us because we don't get the biblical definition of peace. When we think of it in the Western culture, we think of an absence of war or absence of conflict. That's peace. That's not the biblical definition. The biblical definition from the Hebrew, shalom, which you've probably heard before, shalom means wholeness, complete. It actually is a picture of an individual being uh, relationally whole, that all their relationships are complete and whole. There's no conflict or adversity in any of those relationships. They're financially at peace. They have everything that they need. So when you think of uh, David in the Psalms, right? When he says in Psalm 23, I shall not want. This is the idea of wholeness and completeness. It's, it's this idea of contentedness in, in every circumstance. It really is that prayer of, it is well with my soul. God, whatever happens, Whatever happens, it's well with my soul. And so he tells us that this kind of wholeness, this kind of well with my soulness, if you will, it guards our hearts. It literally defends and fights off everything else because right here we are whole, we're complete, and we're fine. Okay. So let's kind of give a scenario of how prayer should play out. Okay. So here's what's happened. Let's just say, and this is just an example. I'm pr not praying this for anybody. Let's just say you lose your job, okay? This is going to impact, obviously, your home, your finances, how you're providing for your family, how you're taking care of your family. Um, and so you're starting to pray, and you bring these things to God. You start to pray over your job, but you also try to pray over the provision that you need for your family that God's not surprised by. And you know that. As you're praying, you know God's not surprised, he knew this was going to happen. He knew I'd be in this circumstance. He knew I'd be in this situation. And so as you begin to pray about that, the first thing you begin to do is you begin to thank God for what he's given you. You thank God for the fact that you had a meal today. You thank God for the bed that you get to sleep in or that your family gets to sleep in. You thank God for how gracious a church you have that they begin to bring food over to your house to care for you because they know the situation that you're in and they love you. You begin to thank God for those things. And as you're thanking God for those things, here's what begins to happen in your heart. You begin to trust God more. You begin to say to God, yes, God, I know that you care about this. I trust that you're going to take care of me. God, you're going to take care of all the needs of my children. You already have been doing that. And then eventually you get to the place where you say, God, I trust you that you're going to provide another job. See, that's what prayer looks like. That's what biblical prayer looks like, is this relationship with God where we recognize that we are his children, he is our father, and that he cares for us, and he provides for us, and he takes care of us. One last thought about prayer, because I always want to bring it back to Jesus. So here's what we have to understand about prayer. The only reason that we can even bring these requests to God is because of what Jesus has done because of his death and his resurrection. That's the only reason. The book of Hebrews, which, a little plug, we're going to start Hebrews next week. That's the series we're going to go into. The book of Hebrews tells us very clearly that Jesus, when he sat down at the right hand of God, he became our great high priest, meaning he is our in-between. He is our go-between. He's our mediator. I bring my prayers to God, and here's the beautiful part, right? Maybe my prayers are very selfish. Hey, that happens, all right? Sometimes it happens to me. My prayers are very selfish. I bring them to the Lord. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus hears that. And he's 
he kind of is the in-between, and he goes, mm, I'm going to tell the Father this. He changes that prayer to be a better prayer, all right? <laughs> he really does. Because he hears our hearts. He knows the motivations of our hearts. He, he knows our needs. And so he helps convert that to God, right? He's our in-between. And that's only because of what he's done on the cross. And I told you when we started this out that I think it would just be um, absolutely absurd of me to talk about prayer for the last few minutes and not spend some time in prayer. And so here's what we're going to do with these last few minutes that we're together. We're actually going to kind of close out our time together this morning this way is what we're going to do is that I'm going to kind of guide us in prayer. So what I'd love for you to do in just a minute, I'd love for you to find somebody that you can pray with, somebody you can pray alongside, okay? And then the music, it's already on, nice, right? The music's already on, and we're going to kind of leave that up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of guide us in prayer. I'm going to start us out by saying a few words, and then I'm going to kind of let you spend some time together in prayer, and then I'll kind of call us back together and lead us to the next place, okay? So in fact, just go ahead right now, try to find somebody that you're going to pray with, kind of look around, see who you're going to pray with. And yeah, if you're, if you're married and you've got your spouse there, it'd probably be a great idea. Turn to them and pray with them. If you've got a friend that's right next to you, pray with them, right? Kid, whatever, whoever's right there, just going to spend some time in prayer, all right? So I'll start us out, and then I'll leave some time for you to pray. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning, we just want to first of all come and tell you that we are grateful as a people. God, we recognize that everything that we have, everything that we have is from your gracious and good hand. Your word tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And God, that is who you are. You are a good and gracious and loving Father. And we're so grateful for everything that we have in our life. Now, I'm just going to lead it to you. Just begin to tell God what you're grateful for, things in your lives that you're thankful for. Pray for those things right now. Father God, you are so good. You're so gracious. But at the same time, Father, you, you know that as, as long as we're here on this earth, there are going to be needs that we have. 
There are going to be things that we need to trust you to take care of. There are things that we need to, to come and bring before you, God. And, and we just admit, first of all, that sometimes we don't do that uh, uh, the way that you've taught us to do that. We don't come and plead like the widow before you with the things that are on our hearts or the things that are, God, that are breaking us. And Father, I know that in this room too, there are, there are things that are weighing on individuals in here, God, that are, are hard. And they might even be questioning why, God, why are you letting me go through this? But Father, I pray that right now, as we spend this next few minutes, that you would just hear our hearts. God, let your children come before you and just bring the things that are on their hearts that they need before you. So just right now, where you're at, just bring your needs to God. What are the things that are on your heart that you want to pray for? Father, and finally, we just, we come before you and we just want to confess that, God, that we miss the mark. God, that we fall short of what you want for us as your people. The way that we look like Jesus, the way that we show Jesus to others, God, we miss that in our home lives. We miss that in our work lives. We miss that in our social lives. God, we miss the mark. And we just confess to you as a church together, God, that, that we're sorry. God, that we want to go the way of Jesus. We repent, we turn back to him, we fix our eyes on him, as your word says, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, fix our eyes there. And Father, finally, we just tell you again how much we love you. God, how you are gracious and good and kind. And it is only through your mercy, only through your love, God, that we can even love you back. So, Father, we love you. We say this all in the precious and powerful name of Jesus.
you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.